So welcome back everyone. Can begin with uh, just um, gathering again after our lunch break, perhaps uh, with a with a mantra on the mantra page in the, at page four. This uh, third mantra is um, honoring refuges, this idea of uh, refuge, learning to find a refuge that is um, conducive for well-being, uh, connected with energies and um, supports that, um, that um, encourage wisdom, um, compassion, inquiry, insight. Um, this first one, the Buddha, Buddhang Saranang, Buddhang, Buddhang one day. This um, first phrase of the f- first part of the mantra, Buddhang, Buddhang, Buddhang one day. One day is to honor or to respect. Buddhang, of course, is uh, Buddha, the, the honoring of the Buddha. And this could be understood both uh, historically, um, paying respect to the historical Buddha, um, who is perhaps for many of us um, a rather remote, maybe someone that's a bit remote, doesn't really uh, mean a lot to us. We didn't really meet the Buddha. Um, but um, certainly after doing practice for many years, one gets a sense of respect for this uh, this um, historical figure that had such an impact on human civilization through um, a very human journey, but in some ways an extraordinary journey of um, finding a way of not just awakening for himself, but finding a way of turning, or they say, turning the wheel of the Dharma, putting in motion teachings and um, and ways of practice to help many, many classes of human beings and other kinds of beings uh, work beyond a suffering and was also quite radical in um, responding to the culture and times he was in and reshaping a lot of um, terms and structures in ways that were much more um, from, 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 from blind um, an unquestioning belief into into structures and um, understandings that were more wise, more compassionate, more inclusive uh, towards more equality, to lessening violence and to increasing um, a lot of well-being. So it's a tremendous offering into the human evolutionary journey. So one can really respect the Buddha um, and also all of Buddha also represents teacher, those that point the way, that um, support us in our journey through life, and particularly the journey of awakening. But ultimately, this principle of Buddha is that which is internal. Uh, the, the word buddhi literally means knowing or awareness, um, the kind of knowing that's not necessarily about academic or intellectual knowing, but this primordial wisdom of the heart, intuitive knowing, wise knowing, the capacity for the, of the jitta, the heart, to, to, to awaken fully as wise and um, insightful. So honoring also the, the Buddha potentiality within each of us. So the Buddha 
taking refuge in the Buddha, taking refuge and aligning within awareness rather than with our worries or our fears or um, our reactivity, just rooting again and again, coming back to refuge into this presence, knowing, mindful awareness, being aware of the Dharma, his second refuge, Dhammang, Dhammang, one day, the Dharma, which is both teachings that we can uh, reflect on and use and practice with that help support our awakening, Um, Buddhist teachings, teachings from other sources, many different kinds of teachings um, that, um, that reflect reality to us and encourage us to keep moving beyond our assumptions and the tendencies that we have that are limiting and um, undermining of in, insight and wisdom. And the Dharma, it's also said more immediately, the Dharma is everything. There's nothing outside of the Dharma. The Dharma, everything is unfolding according to its nature. Dharma literally is is translated originally as nature or the lawfulness of the unfolding of everything. So everything, whether it's a, a grumpy mood, whether it's a brilliant insight, whether it's a, a, a painful or pleasant sensation, whether it's love or hate, whether it's success or failure, it's all dharma, it's all teaching us the way of things. So taking refuge in the in the Buddha, being aware of the dharma of this moment, the dharma of this moment, the post-lunch slump, <laughs> or you know, feeling a bit tired, or feeling a bit whatever's happening for us. This is the Dharma, a bit anxious or peaceful. So however the body is, the mind, our experience, this is, you know, it's not our personal possession. It's just, this is our experience. This is the Dharma. And the Sangha, taking refuge in the Sangha is here as a group. I'm going to focus on this third jewel a bit this afternoon. That the Sangha is that we're here not just by ourselves, it's not just about us doing it our, on our own, but we're here to support each other. That's why we have these days and these centers, and why this huge amount of resources and energy and careful consideration go into maintaining a space like this, because we recognize that sitting on our own in our home, we generally tend to just get a bit lost. So um, although as good as it is, and as much as we need to do that, we actually also need to come together um, to reflect on the Dharma and support each other. So the Sangha is community um, that come together, people that come together for the purpose of practice and awakening. And um, also, even if we are on our own, which we are often sometimes, then it means more subtly and inwardly that we align with the capacity to practice, that we can always, this essence of the meaning of Sangha is to practice, to practice with the Dharma, to apply the Dharma to our life, to practice with whatever's happening, suffering, non-suffering, investigating the nature of conditions until we see through um, the the, uh, ephemeral, Uh, um, ephemeral nature of everything until we actually recognize the underlying um, peace, uh, timelessness that's available here and now. It's just that we don't recognize it. So to align with these capacities or to align with our fullest potential. So in this mantra, 
As we do the mantra, we can begin our afternoon practice by reminding ourselves of these refuges that are, that are, doesn't mean you have to be a Buddhist or that you have to sign on to a certain creed. You can translate these refuges into whatever um, whatever one's affiliation is, spiritually, religiously, whatever, because underlying all of these refuges, all three of these refuges, are really is this... Um, is a pointing to our potential and our capacity to move beyond uh, fear, um, aversion, um, greed, and delusion. So let's begin with this uh, mantra and then just uh, sit for a little while.
So again, beginning a period of uh, practice. A formal practice by just taking a few moments to connect with what's present for you now, how you're feeling, how the body is, mood of the heart. And exploring this balance, this mindful mindfulness, it's this middle way between being shaped by the experience and pulled into the thoughts and the feeling tones and sort of collapsing into that or or resisting what is present and trying to push away, but finding ground in this refuge of, of awareness, an awareness that is present to experience, but also inquiring, how is it now? The sounds, the sensation, the feeling tone. And rather than immediately assuming a label to the experience, just being present to the, the actual direct experience. Using the breath to steady, to ground the sensations of sitting in your seat, to be here, being interested How is it now? We don't have to judge. We're just interested. This is the Dharma of the moment, how the body is, the sounds, the feeling tones, the flickering of thought and image. Letting things be as they are and resting in the awareness of the mind, of the heart. So just continuing with the theme of the refuge, and particularly this afternoon I'd like to um, focus on and also have you do some work around this third refuge of Sangha. So the other day um, we were teaching, hosting a retreat at Insight Meditation Society, which is just down in uh, Barry, Massachusetts. Many of you will know the center. And uh, at the end of the uh, Sebene and Dara were helping as our uh, assistant teachers. And at the end of the retreat, uh, we were just talking about um, daily life, taking this practice into all spheres of our life. Nothing's outside of the sphere of this practice or, or gathering all aspects of our life into our awareness so we can contemplate our experience and bring some reflection and inquiry, some uh, wisdom, compassion to bear upon our experience. And, and Dara and Sebene reflected um, on what uh, things they found helpful to bring this um, practice into daily life. And one of the things Sebene talked about was the cultivation of Sangha. And um, (laughs) she mentioned that she sometimes feels that the Sangha is like the third um, stepsister. 
doesn't really quite get uh, much attention, slightly sort of shoved in the back, who puts out the cushions and and prepares the tea and doesn't really get as much, um, you know, sort of um, support or uh, elevated in the same way as the first two uh, of the Triple Jewel, the, the Buddha and the Dharma, that we make a lot, particularly about the Dharma and the practices of Dharma, without really considering what actually supports the Dharma and how does that, uh, how does a web of relationship, um, not only relationship in, in regards to our own process, but collective community relationship, how can that be cultivated to really support the growing of awakening, that there has to be a ground from which awakening emerges. It's not just a sort of a haphazard affair on the whole. It generally emerges due to cause and effects, that the causes are planted somewhere along the line, and then um, those causes give rise and come into fruition of awakening, um, both personally and also collectively. Awakening is not just a, a personal Endeavor, someone like the Buddha, when he awakened, he was then able to go back into his society and culture and help awaken many, many people and awaken and inspire many cultures um, over the last millennia or so, as we know. So, you know, what is the ground that helps support that process? And so often when we take on this path or, or these practices, they they sort of almost become like our personal enlightenment project and, it, and we have this feeling that it's something that we like a bit like a therapeutic journey almost that we have to just do internally all on our own and then go out there and meet this sort of difficult world that we somehow struggle with and try and sort of manage a practice around so so it's an interesting you know thing to think about how can we actually perhaps think of that a bit differently how can we think of this not just as a personal endeavor but it's something that we collectively do and support each other a bit more beyond um, just sort of meeting and and coming here to sit together, but actually consciously begin to think about how to deepen a field of awakening in our cultures and in our time, and to extend that even beyond um, our particular sangha or our idea of it just being a Buddhist idea, um, there's uh, one thing that um, Ken Wilber talks about, which is quite interesting when he referred to the refuges or contemplate the three refuges and talking about the Buddha being the ultimate I and the Dharma being the ultimate it and the Sangha being the ultimate we. The Buddha, the ultimate I, behind all the the I, the structures of the I, there is that which is aware. So the when we take refuge in the Buddha, we're going to the, the fundamental ground of awareness, which is, you know, it's not an I as a self-structure, but it is the most intimate, if you like, it's more intimate than all the self-structures, is the awareness that can illuminate everything. There's no awareness, it's a bit like you have a movie playing, and you're absorbed in the play of the movie and all the storylines, but then sometime you, you look around and you realize there's going to be no, there's no images on that movie screen unless there's some light, some projector, that's in the, and the light in the projector that's actually projecting that, that movie. And in the same way, the, the mind is like continually projecting one sort of 
um, script after another, one movie after another, and then one day you turn around and you realize that the light of consciousness, pure consciousness, pure awareness is projecting all the movies. And this is the jitta, this is the jitta, is this fundamental, profound uh, luminosity of the mind. Um, but the jitta doesn't know its own nature, so it gets confused, it doesn't know itself as primordial, uh, unmoving awareness, so it thinks it's all the movies. And the jitta reacts to, the, to its own movie making, <laughs> so it's quite complicated, and then starts to create suffering. So, you know, so this returning to the refuge of the Buddha is recognizing there's this fundamental ground. And then we start to recognize, yes, there are these movies that we share. We have our individual movies. Some of them aren't too pretty. Some of them are lovely and idyllic. And then we have these collective movies and collective narratives. And the, the dharma of our collective, of the collective field is sort of, is... Uh, is the sort of phenomena of our experience, is that which is we can reflect on, and the itness of everything. We can reflect on, on it in a particular way, in, the, in uh, not only just the, the content of, of our experiences and all the colors and flavors and um, complexity of our experience, but we can also reflect on the construct of the experience and realize this all the constructs of our uh, of what we're looking at has the same uh, has the same nature and so the buddha encouraged us to look in this way so we see the same nature of phenomena as that which is you know like transient ephemeral in a certain way we take things to be more than what they are you know, this would be like this forever and it and you know we know things change um, but even if we know that, we still go about our daily life assuming that's not the case. So to reflect on phenomena and see, begin to see, however beautiful or disastrous it is, it's it's still within the realm of change. And then this this uh, this sangha, this this we, who is the reflecting, you know, as us, as 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 people, this uh, this consciousness, this light of his awareness, these stories, these narratives, these particularities of our individually individuality, it's all happening within these bodies, within these sort of bodies that contain not just our personality, but a stream of history, a stream of ancestry, a stream of culture, a stream of uh, particularity. And so it's an interesting um, time um, to think about um, Sangha as, and community as we um, come closer and closer together um, globally, as we have um, now for this generation, a few generations have been, in a way, more and more been uh, learning to somehow try and live together in a on an earth which has close to growing from seven to nine billion people that we we have the challenge of not being able to afford so much just to live within our own sort of little pocket of tribal identification but we have to learn to live as a human family beyond um, our, our our natural sense of divisions and competitiveness and 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 the struggles that we have historically had together uh, and even here, you know, um, 
in, not only on a larger scale, but within each of our uh, Sangha communities. How can we actually learn to open the communities and begin to embrace diversity and more kind of representation and voices and realities that are beyond perhaps a certain metaphor or style or way of being that we think is Buddhist and appropriate and fits a particular kind of package. So there's an interesting um, question because in a way to actually begin to explore how can we live as, as human family is a complex contemplation and it's enough to drive any, any of us back to just like, well, I just want to come here to sit on my cushion and be peaceful and I don't want to think about these things because they're, they're too difficult or too threatening or too complex for me. But I do, I do th- um, think there's an opportunity in exploring how perhaps um, Sangha can be held in a different way, how we can actually explore what is a relational field that's integrated, inclusive, healthy, within which we can relax and which can really support the fullness of every part of ourselves that we bring into this practice where we we don't leave things outside the door or parts of ourselves because they don't fit a sort of a dominant model somehow. In the the psychological journey um, of healing, a lot of when we do uh, undergo a psychological or therapeutic journey of healing, a lot of that sometimes is to do with healing sort of ruptures to the sense of self, you know, to, to reclaim parts of ourself that have been vilified or pushed out or, or, or made unconscious to us that, you know, that, that have within those areas that have been denied sometimes difficult or painful feeling tones. So uh, sometimes in the same way as when we meditate, we open, as someone was saying this morning, um, we we come to sit and we want peace and bliss and harmony and yet what we find ourselves we're sitting with is perhaps the feeling of disease or painful emotions or old um, parts of ourselves that are that are difficult and so we have the practice of opening to that this loving and welcoming we can't do that without some sort of we can do it just on pure inquiry but there also has to be some compassion. There has to be. There has to be some way of welcoming the parts of ourself so that we can touch those orphans of consciousness with some compassion, with some kindness. Um, And as we do that and allow, in psychological terms, what's held in the shadow, what has not been acceptable to us, as we allow that to have, to be welcomed into the fullness of of our awareness, to be touched, and contemplated with kindness and compassion, we start to become fuller and more integrated. And this creates an internal ground, an internal integrity, which helps support awakening. And so it's not an awakening that's, that's based on just keep pushing things away, keep sort of cutting away pieces of ourselves that don't fit our ideal. But it's an authentic awakening that's uh, sort of grown, if you like, out of the manure of the authentic experience of our messy human lives. That's part of the ground that we, that we work from. And in the same way, as we start to open personally, we realize we're not just a person. We are a sort of a conduit, really, of many different forces. You know, some of them are historical, ancestral, collective, 
global, um, and so we can experience many different kinds of visitors, orphans, that have come from all sorts of places. And it's not just uh, it's not just a personal journey, but it becomes increasingly a collective journey. Um, and so that as we, in the same way as we start to welcome all the different parts of ourselves, we realize to create a larger collective ground of awakening, we also have to go uh, much deeper and begin to welcome and open all the parts of ourselves as a as a collective community that have been marginalized or denied or vilified or made to carry uh, the shadow, things that are unacceptable or the projections that we, we don't want to accept that happen from the mind. So we've, we've, we have, you know, as you know, Kirisara and I, reading our biographies, we, um, we spent 20 years now working in South Africa in a post-apartheid society. We talked about it somewhat last night, um, which is probably, you know, that's a society that took this separative consciousness of trying to divide peoples up and then split away from each other and trying to hold some ground through oppression, major <laughs> oppression, um, some sort of ground that, that of you know safety. If I can only keep safe, my safety depends on me controlling um, you know everyone else that I feel threatened by, or that I want to use for the enrichment of my small tribe. So you know it was a it was a, it became a, a, an, an insane system designating people according to race. Um, and, you know, coming into that culture and country and living through the repercussions of that, a lot of the work has to be to reclaim what has been split apart, to gather back um, and, to, and to sort of, in a way, touch the trauma and the um, internalized um, oppression that arises from that such a system to keep... Um, feeling into those places and touching and welcoming and exploring how to meet what has been pained with um, with compassion in ourselves and each other and then realizing that apartheid doesn't go one way whatever's projected outward it goes projected inward so whether you're whatever part of the spectrum one's on whether one's oppressed due to race or becomes a, an oppressor there's a price to pay, and the price is towards our um, human sensitivity and you know the, the capacity to really have an intimate relationship with your own heart because it's hard to really move from a place of oppression or entitlement or splitting away whether parts of ourselves or parts of the collective and not ultimately split away from your own heart and your own sensitive feeling nature. You know, which is a which is a subtler price to pay, but it's um, can be equally devastating. The devastation, you know, to in in South Africa to African communities more obvious economically and um, and um, in so many other ways. But still, there's a there's a price to pay because on every level in all communities, regardless of color, because one is denying the truth of the deeper heart. When Kuan Yin talks about her enlightenment, his her enlightenment in the 
um, Shurangama Sutra, Mahayana Sutra, he talks about awakening, this, this profound awakening, go beyond all distinctions, all designations, um, and awakening into, into reality, basically. Kuan Yin represents the, the heart or mind that's awakened and truly resonant and knowing of reality, deeply, profoundly merged with reality. No, no divisions left. Kuan Yin talks about at the moment of the shattering and awakening and opening that that uh, that his her mind became um, completely fused with the mind of the Buddhas and completely resonant with the mind of all living beings, completely intimate with the mind of all living beings. There is no distinction. Now this is the Kuan Yin. Ultimately, we say well, Kuan Yin is um, you know comes from a Buddhist particular schools and so on. So oh, it's Mahayana, it's not Theravada. We don't do that here, or it's Chinese Buddhism or Tibetan Buddhism or whatever. Have the Kiteshra. but actually Kuan Yin ultimately represents this deepest heart of all of us. This Jitta, this this undivided heart. And it's not the what's called the Mano Vinyana, the mind that's going out thinking and designating and separating out all the time and making these endless distinctions of Kuan Yin represents this true potential. When we have uh, insight and awaken to that, there are no ultimate separations. It's one seamless whole on undivided consciousness. And so this, this is why it's so painful, because that's our true nature, that's our deepest sense, actually, when we operate from the heart, then we're not operating from a divided mind, we're operating from a, from a holistic, resonant uh, reality. So, we, so and, we, and that's very natural for us, actually, in the same way as a child it's very natural, or in an animal it's very natural. <laughs> it's a very natural state for us, so everything else on top of that is constructed, becomes constructed through conditioning. So to return back to this natural heart is to return back and reclaim all the wounded parts of ourselves, whether personally or collectively. And it's a, it's a big journey. It's a gathering back, it's a reclamation, it's the reclamation of those places that have been pulled out, either from this deepest awareness, the ground of our being, which is you know fundamental okayness, simplicity, fullness, health, you know, being all the time feeling we're not okay because we're pulled out of that, or whether we're pulled out through, you know, the, the the centuries of industrialization or colonization that have pulled us out of the deep soul of relationship, you know, the deep, deep communion, say, with with nature or the earth, or a deep sense of placement within the cosmos, which was the experience of many, say, for example, First Nation peoples. In certain ways, like the the, um, the Khoisan who lived in the land where we now now are, lived for thirty to fifty thousand years or so, with a worldview and a sense of placement, not to overly romanticize um, some aspects of you know some of the very difficult lifestyle or or to to. Um, you know, but just as a just as a, a sense, I, there's one one elder in that in from those pe- uh, from from the Khoisan people, um, grandmother, whose comment on our modern society was like, "Boy, you guys are way off track. 
it's like we're on track, you know, we're like, we're, we're connected, we're on track, you guys, like, you're way, you're way off track. I think it's a very simple way of saying that, you know, the sense of alignment within the cosmos and in the earth and in the natural world and within community and within soul and within heart was all kind of operating. And, and we've lost a lot of that, it's very painful. And it's also an evolutionary journey. It's a place or it's a point maybe where there's the possibility of instead of fracturing more, is that there's one possibility now is to move maybe um, from the place of increasing a sort of an apartheid, not only racially, but apartheid against the earth, apartheid against other nations, and apartheid ultimately against this deepest uh, sensitive heart that feels with, that knows it's a kinship. Quan Yin talks about the ultimate kinship with all beings. She listens, she hears all beings. She hears their cries, she hears their joys, she hears their desires. Because this is what the heart hears when we dwell in the heart at a very deep level. We hear it all. There isn't a separation. It becomes accessible. And to us, this is the resonant open heart, which is our heart. So this journey of reclamation is something that uh, that that um, as um, you know is a phrase, a beautiful phrase that um, was was uh, made popular. Sorry, not the king, which is the phrase of the beloved community. This is a, I think this is actually a very good phrase now for sangha. Is this this. Um, uh, Larry Yang, who is a real sort of a pioneer in the work of beloved community in the in the contemporary American sanghas, and he's associated um, guiding teacher at both Spirit Rock and affiliated teacher Garrison Institute, New York Insight, um, IMS, uh, founding teacher of East Bay Meditation um, Center, and so on, and deeply. Um, thoughtful and insightful um, man. He says, we have to be in love with the beloved community. I say that simply because it's not something that will be handed to us because we want it or we think it's a positive goal to have in life. It doesn't just happen simply because we deserve it or feel entitled to it. It's not something that happens on its own or occurs through someone else's efforts. It requires our collective unwavering intention and actions fed by this reservoir of spiritual aspirations. In order to create the beloved community, we need to be totally in love with its vision. We need to be totally inspired by the possibility of our human potential collectively. We need to be sustained by the brilliance of our beauty as human beings which can give us hope and lead us to our own innate goodness. And we need to be sustained by our deepest sorrows and challenges because that is where we learn our courage and resilience, the courage to live our fullest life to the best of our ability in order to awaken together. And that is such a worthy aspiration of the beloved community. Uh, so, so I think this is a very hakunta. I don't think one could put it in a better way. 
And this very much, in a way, uh, connects with the aspiration. This, this phrase came um, from someone uh, in originally in the early 20th century, the founder of the Fellowship of Reconciliation, which is a wonderful organization, the phrase Beloved uh, Community, Josiah Rose, where he's, he talked about um, since the office of religion is to aim towards the creation on earth of beloved community, the future of religion is the task of inventing and applying the arts which will win over to unity and which shall overcome their original hatefulness by gracious love, not of mere individuality, but of communities. So maybe sort of slightly oddly expressed, but I think this intentionality of, of overcoming, this overcoming is one of the right efforts that the Buddha encourages us in right action is to overcome our, sometimes our petty tendency, our divisive tendency, our, our uncarefully examined biases and prejudices, to overcome those, to, to hold up and make much of love, love and compassion and kindness. Was a, see, this was also very highly um, praised by the Buddha, that it's not by la, uh, hatred, um, that hatred is overcome, but only by love. This is the eternal law. Love for those parts of ourself that we dismiss, um, for this body, uh, for each other, for this human family, and for this earth. This is a sort of like curriculum for our times, for our mutual well-being, and perhaps hopeful survival even, and certainly, it's not just wishful thinking, it's a practice. As Larry's saying, it's a sort of conscious practice to really consider and make, in the same way, illuminate, we illuminate inwardly the parts of our, of our being that have yet to be touched by compassion, the orphans of our own consciousness, which are many and painful, constricted energy forms, if you like, haven't yet been liberated, but to do that also collectively to allow ourselves to touch the places where we have, through sometimes unfortunate conditioning, created prejudices or blind spots or ways that we don't see each other as part of, of, the, of the beloved community, not only as a Buddhist Sangha, but as Kamopo says, the ultimate Sangha is we, all of us. This is we. This is, uh, there's no, no being outside of that, not even... Uh, non, uh, uh, not even, um, or even um, non-human beings. All life, all life has within it the sacredness. So I thought, um, you know, this is, um, I'm grateful uh, to Sevene to um, bring up this awareness. And I, I know very much the, particularly within the communities of people of color, um, who who have uh, such a uh, I, th I feel and this might be forgive me if it's a projection but a profound um, journey of having undergone such struggles um, to be um, within a dominant culture in so many ways and to find their way say here in in um, it's not only America but we're in America um, that um, that it's uh, 
a, a lot of that struggle has been um, possible through the development of community in ways that perhaps is felt and understood and held a bit differently than is experienced in the predominantly white European community, you know, like practitioner, which is tended historically to be a little bit more like we're doing our own practice and we come together to sit just because we, we, we acknowledge we need each other, but let's not get any bit further beyond that, <laughs> you know, um, that we're independent people and we'll do this enlightenment thing on our own, thank you very much. So that's slightly a little bit some of the flavor. I know I've definitely come from that place a lot. And, um, and actually had ex the, the wonderful experience of living in a tribe. Of, uh, you know, it was like being in a, a monastic, it was like being in a tribe, um, for, which was both positive and also sometimes not so positive. But, um, but, you know, to realize actually the Buddha taught this third jewel for a reason. <laughs> it wasn't just a sort of like, oh, well, let's throw that in as an afterthought. It's an absolutely profoundly necessary ground of awakening is this cultivation of conscious community and the healing of that um, and the restoration of that so it can become a real support for our collective awakening, not just a sort of competing our way to who's going to, you know, be the first arahant in New York, but you know, it's like, <laughs> um, you know, it's like, let's see how we could support each other in this process, because if we awaken a bit, it helps everyone else awaken a bit, you know, and if the ground and the collective awakens, then it becomes a support, not just for us, but for those that come after us, which is also something to consider. echoes of our conversation. Not trying to change anything, but acknowledging, welcoming, opening to how it is now. going for refuge to the Buddha, that subtle movement to rest in that which listens, opens to how it is. Buddha Dhamma, being aware of the sounds, the moods, Each sound reveals to us the way things are. Every sound arises and ceases. Every thought and image, every feeling tone, whether pleasing or displeasing, 
manifests in this heart of awareness. Each sound returns to the living silence. The sounds come and go. All the opinions, I'm right, I'm wrong. Those idiots over there, why doesn't anyone understand me? All these thought feelings, like bubbles, at the heart of grounded in listening, notices each one dissolve back into that which never moves. The awakened ones point to that which never wavers, always with each out-breath, letting be, letting conditions do what conditions do, just like that dust whose nature is to dance, to move, a cascading stream of sounds and feelings interwoven with thoughts, memories, concerns, the nature to move, with each out-breath letting be, is it possible to rest in that which is, awake, honest, knowing this is how it is now, Our teacher told us the kindest thing we can do for another is not to trap them in an opinion we have that we carry around. They're like that. We do that to ourselves as well. But in moments, if we can notice that those very thoughts are ephemeral, they come and go like lightning flashes in the sky. Even a moment of noticing those thoughts that seem to trap us hopelessly and trap others hopelessly in eternal stuck states. A moment of just noticing those inner sounds dissolving, freeze us. Rumi, the great mystical poet, said this, you are inside meaning, not words, 
You are the heart itself, not any language of the heart. You are the essence within the universe, not the universe. You're neither absence nor existence. Be a falcon with how you go straight to the point. Be a lion in how you walk, majestic, with the way you pick a spot to rest. Enter the realm of the soul as the treasure of that. Walk fast to the place where there is no fast and slow. Ascend beyond any high or low. If you could be master of yourself for one moment, the knowledge that the prophets have would be yours. The beauty the whole world wants, the emptiness, the beauty of absence would appear in the mirror of your seeing. Finishing this auspicious day, letting the day reveal to us the timeless truth that what comes goes, letting every sound dissolve into empty listening, every outbreath. Remind us of the relief of letting be, letting go. Can we rest in that willingness to allow forms to dissolve, trusting that emptiness which is awake like a sky. However many times we forget, the Buddha taught the refuge is always humbly beginning again in this moment. However lost, oh, I can't believe I've ruined this moment. Those very sounds can be blessed by the heart of awareness. In that light, Rumi said, Come, come, whoever you are, wanderer, fire worshiper, lover of leaving. This is not a caravan of despair. It does not matter that you have broken your vow a thousand times. Still come. And yet, patiently returning again and again, 
to the way things are. Cultivating the art of being realistic. Like one little spark in a tanker ship full of cotton, little by little by little burns away. to ash, all that it obstructs, the spaciousness. The Buddha taught that our awakening is inevitable. Just once we start this process, even in a moment, of questioning what is happening now. Little by little, the biases, assumptions are relinquished in the light of awareness. In a world with so much distress, we can feel totally overwhelmed and think, well, what can we do? But let's not undervalue the power of the blessing of just this day of practice. Cultivating moments of mindfulness relinquishment, listening, within, without, and with one another. Seeing through the apartheid of the heart, touching into moments of remembering where all things come together. finishing this day's practice. With a gift. May all the blessings of this work first be shared with every cell in this body. As we breathe in, breathe out and relax. May this body, from the crown of the head to the soles of our feet, every cell be touched by these moments of patience, presence, inquiry. With a kind thought, may in every dimension, may I be at ease, may I be well in my life. And like a pebble dropping into a pool, sending ripples in all direction, 
with each out breath, may we gently let the thought extend. May those around me, may this family of fellow seekers, may you all be well, each out breath, relaxing and extending above, below, and all around a sense of kindness, non-harming. Each in-breath touches the heart, each out-breath lets go. A wish may all beings be well and at peace, free from distress, free from suffering. May all beings benefit from the work we've done today, benefit from the blessings of our lives. May this prayer extend infinitely in all directions carried by the ancient mantra Om Mani Padme Hum. May all beings wake up to the original brightness, that peaceful, boundless nature, which is always inviting us.
been an honor for Tanisra and I to be with you all today. And it's a big uh, welcome for anyone who's able to join us uh, tomorrow from uh, 10 to 2. We won't have a lunch break. We'll just uh, practice during that time. And so if you can come, it'll be wonderful. This place continue for uh, making it possible for us to do this. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.